got to adjust the camera real quick. <coughs> Good morning. We come to a traditionally important Sunday. The reason why I say traditionally important Sunday is because uh, this is a Sunday that we've identified over the centuries to celebrate Easter or Christ's resurrection, right? Uh, that does not necessarily mean that this actually literally is the actual day that Christ resurrected but uh, from the grave, but it is certainly somewhere in that realm, in that time frame. Um, it is uh, an important day. It is a, a crucial day. But as I think about the resurrection of Christ, I find myself just like with, with Christmas and just like with Good Friday, I find myself asking questions. We mentioned that Friday night, if you were there Friday night. I find myself asking questions. And the questions are varied, but one of the questions that pop in my mind all the time, it's one of the first questions that I think of every time one of these seasons rolls around. And the question is, What's the big deal? Or uh, that may sound really heretical that your pastor would ask the question, what's the big deal about the resurrection? But it's an important question. It really is an important question. What's so important about the resurrection? A couple days ago, it was, it was the day we call Good Friday, and I'm asking myself the same question every year. What's the big deal about the date of his crucifixion, Good Friday. What's so important about that day? And not so much the day, but what the day symbolizes or what it looks back to. Christmas, same thing. What's so important about Christmas? What's the big deal? And of course, once again, it looks back to the day of Christ's birth. But what's the big deal? What's so important about that? Now, you may say, Steve, come on, really? You're asking that question? Serious? Well, I don't know about you, but I get asked that question all the time. Seems like clockwork. Get close to Easter, and I, people know I'm a pastor, and I ask the question, what's the big deal? What's, what's the point? What's so big about that? And we know that functionally speaking, all you got to do is open your eyes just a little bit, and you know that for most people it's not a what? It's not a big deal. For most people in, in, in the Western world, it's more about what? Bunnies and candy and eggs. Which, by the way, I never could figure out what eggs had to do with bunnies. But that's a whole other issue. I just don't understand. You don't need to explain it to me now. I just don't get it. <laughs> and for other people, it's a day you dress up and go to church once a year. And if you go Christmas, it's twice a year, right? But for most of the Western world, Easter is not, or Resurrection Day, I don't even like the term Easter, Resurrection Day is not that big of a deal. But you know what I found with people who claim to be believers? More and more, I find people who claim to be believers don't understand what the big deal is either. Most people who claim to be believers, if you ask them, what's the big deal about Good Friday that looks back to the day of Christ's crucifixion, 
most people who claim to be followers of Jesus will be able to declare to you that the reason why it's a big deal is because I was what? Dead in my trespasses and sins and he paid the price and stood in my place, right? Now, they may not use those terms, but you get the, price. You get the idea. Most people claim to be followers of Jesus get that. But when it comes to the resurrection, things get a little fuzzy really quickly. And I think it's really important that we slow down and ask ourselves that really important question. What's the big deal? What's the big deal? We're going to look at a variety of passages today. Let's see, one, two, three, four, five, wait. Six. Six verses, six passages this morning. So we're going to be quick on each one of them. Sorry, I had to count them up. Um, we're going to look at, uh, we're going to start in, in John chapter 11. So if you turn to John chapter 11, first place we want to stop, and the reason I want to stop here is, is several fold. <clears throat> one of them is because it's pre-death and resurrection. In fact, it's pre-arrest, judgment, condemnation, death, resurrection. Now, one other passage is as well. But we're going to stop at John 11. Just to give you a little background, in John 11, we find Jesus is interacting with regard to, with a group of people, in, in light of, or in, in, in uh, the specific situation of Lazarus is in the grave. Lazarus has died. And the people are troubled. They're grieving. And the question that is spoken by one person is probably on everybody else's mind as well that's there. Why didn't he come earlier? Because if only he would have come earlier, then Lazarus wouldn't have died. But Lazarus did die because Jesus purposefully did not come. Why? Because he wanted to bring more glory to himself. In the midst of that interaction, verse 25 and 26, Jesus speaks to Martha and says this, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. This is the fifth I am statement, by the way, that Jesus makes. And when he says I am, in case you didn't realize, he's declaring his, his, that he's God. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ that is the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Interesting statement by Jesus. Why is the resurrection so important? Why is it really central to the Christianity? There, I'm going to give you several reasons why, and this one is one of the basic but really important ones. Because Jesus himself declared what? He declared two things here. What was? He declared, I am the resurrection, which by implication, direct implication, means he's declaring that there is a resurrection, right? That there is resurrection. If he is the resurrection, then resurrection is real. What I, what, the point I'm trying to make is this. In this most basic foundational understanding, it is this. If there is no resurrection, starting with Christ's resurrection, right? Because Christ's resurrection brings out all the rest of, that will come. Lazarus came before. That is true, but it's for a purpose of, of, 
of uh, demonstrating the proof, the validity of what he's declaring, that he is God, that he is the Messiah, that he is the resurrection and the life. If, and here this is really important, if he did not rise from the dead, and if therefore there is no resurrection, because he didn't rise from the dead, there is no resurrection. If he did not rise from the dead, and therefore no resurrection, then from the get-go, Jesus is several things. Actually, he's not several things. He's not the Messiah. He isn't. Because he lied. And that also leads us to say he's not God. Because he's wrong. If there is no resurrection, then Christ is not, Jesus Christ is not the Messiah. He's merely Jesus, a man. And he's not God. And if that is true, then we're just wasting our time. Save that to the end. <laughs> You're stealing my thunder here. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay, Ken. If it's not true, then we can't trust anything else here. The resurrection is absolutely essential. Why? Because Jesus declared not just that there's a resurrection. That's just the implied, right? The direct implication and necessary implication. He declared that he is the resurrection and the life. And the ramifications of him being the resurrection and the life is that if anybody believes in him in this text, what happens? They will live. They will live. They will not die. And if they die, referring, of course, to Lazarus there, they'll what? They'll live. And it's after that declaration that he's the resurrection. It's interesting how it comes directly after this declaration and then some narrative. And the very next thing that happens is what? Jesus speaks, doesn't he? And he says what? Lazarus, come forth. And nothing happens. Right? No. What happens? He speaks, and in speaking and calling forth Lazarus out of the grave, Lazarus comes back to life. And he walks out of the tomb. I am the resurrection and life. It is essential. Why is it essential to Christianity? Because Jesus declared himself to be so. He is the resurrection and life. If he would declare that he's the resurrection and life and then cries out, Lazarus, come forth, and Lazarus doesn't come forth, the ramifications of that are how wide-reaching? 66 books wide-reaching. Do you realize that? None of this means anything. None of it. But because he declared it, and he declared it because he's true, he calls Lazarus forth. There's only one thing Lazarus could do. Do you realize that? 
There's only one thing he could do. Stand up and walk out of the grave. Why? Because he is the resurrection and life. That is just absolutely foundational for why the resurrection is absolutely essential. Let's move on. Why is it so important? Acts chapter 17. I was thinking about Acts chapter 17 this morning and saying, as I was thinking through it right before I came to church, I said, yeah, you know, I I should say, um, yeah, just recently we were in Acts 17, then I realized it wasn't recent, was it? (laughs) That was a long time ago. Acts chapter 17. Paul is in Athens. And he's, he's reasoning with the Athenians about Jesus. Verse 30. He says to the Athenians, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Paul references the resurrection in this discussion. And I want to go this next for a very specific reason. We talked about the, the truth of the resurrection as declared by Jesus being the resurrection. Not just the resurrecting one, but he is the resurrection in life. And as a result, he is able to resurrect, right? That's what we saw in John. Here, he talks about the resurrection. We talked about how important it is. And the thing we discover in Acts 17, 30 and 31 is its importance is not what you expect the importance to be. I want you to look at the text again in 30 and 31. I'm going to read it one more time. The times of ignorance God overlooked. That is the times of people not knowing about Jesus God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's an important statement in light of what he's about to say. The call has gone out for people to repent. And the implication of the call to repentance is what? That you're a sinner. That every person, the implication very strong, the necessary implication of the text is that it's all-inclusive, isn't it? It's gone out everywhere. Why? Because all have sinned. He commands all people everywhere to repent. Verse 31, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man... Jesus, that he's been talking about, whom he has appointed to be what? What is this appointment to? To being a, the judge, right. And of this, what he's been just talking about, all these he's been talking about, he has given assurance to all by doing what? By raising him from the dead. What's the point? The value, the importance, importance of the resurrection as described in here is this the value of the resurrection that Paul is driving towards is this there is coming a point in time when judgment is going to take place we we typically think about the 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 the, um, the resurrection in this joyous thing right and rightly so it, it, it's, it's our hope, isn't it? He's our hope, and therefore the resurrection is our hope that Christ resurrected from the dead gives us 
hope for our resurrection, correct? And rightly so. The thing we don't often think about is the resurrection is the very reason why judgment will come. The resurrection gives us the assurance that what? We think the resurrection gives us assurance that we'll go to heaven, right? And rightly so if we're believers. But this text says directly the opposite of that, not denying it, but directly the opposite, the resurrection gives us an assurance, but Paul doesn't go to heaven. Paul goes to judgment. You see, if the resurrection is true, then just as true and right along with it is this. If the resurrection is true, there's judgment. Get the sense that the resurrection is important? If there's no resurrection, there's no, there's no judgment. If there's no judgment, then nothing matters. Then everything's irrelevant. Everything's meaningless. But his argument in 30 and 31 is the assurance by raising Jesus from the dead is that there's a day fixed. Now, you've heard me say this before. I want to bring it up again. Even in the midst of this glorious thing called resurrection, Christ resurrected from the grave, and it's glorious. And, and, and Christians throughout the ages have gotten together to say, He is risen, He is risen indeed, and we rejoice and we celebrate, and rightfully so. But in the midst of that, we can never hope to get to the rejoicing unless we recognize first that we are naturally what? condemned and that's the point you see we want to it's interesting because the, the correlation to me about how we have totally laid aside the, the robust discussion of sin in the gospel we've laid completely a discussion of judgment in the resurrection <laughs> we don't acknowledge it but this paul's front and center argument here as he speaks to the athenians he says understand something Jesus rose from the dead. And what does that mean to you? It means there's a time coming for your judgment. And that resurrected one is going to judge you. He will judge. And the time is fixed. It's not, well, maybe not, maybe. No, it's fixed from the, before the foundation of the world. The day of judgment is fixed. And what Paul's argument is based upon is purely and simply that the resurrection actually took place. Now, people can deny the resurrection. People do all the time. <clears throat> people can deny it. Liberal Christianity talks about how he rose in our hearts. And there's all sorts of other weird theologies. But you deny the resurrection, there is no judgment, and everything, once again, does what? It topples like a house of cards. Doesn't it? That's all it does. But we need to hear. And it, you remember me saying over and over again the idea we learn the contrast? In this Resurrection Sunday, you know what we need to remember? There's a fixed day. There's a fixed day. 
And that day is a day of judgment. And what Paul says is the proof of that is he rose from the dead. And that day's coming. And if we're not believers and the spirits at work in our lives, that will horrify us. The only way we get to the non-horror but the rejoicing side of the resurrection is if we recognize the horror. And remember the horror. Tom, I appreciate your confession this morning because that's exactly what you're talking about. In a, in a different way, you were talking about how this horror is a reminder of the resurrection. We should rejoice, but we grieve and rejoice, right? Absolutely, it's constant. Today, we need to remember the judgment. It's fixed. It's coming. Because he did rise from the dead. What's important about the resurrection? Judgment. Judgment is important. John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. <clears throat> John chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. Jesus is speaking, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Talking about Jesus is here and he's preaching, right? And basically, I would argue that first, verse 25 there, is talking about everybody being dead. <clears throat> but those who hear will what? Will live, and if we fold the scriptures from Ephesians, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but he makes some alive. If they hear, they will live. The only way I can hear is if God is at work in me, right? The Spirit is at work in me. But notice what he goes, does after that. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment. There it is again, isn't it? Second time that it shows up. Because he is the Son of Man. Verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Third time judgment shows up that we've seen, right? Third time. Two passages. Third time we've heard about judgment in light of the resurrection. This passage shifts it away from, even more, Christ's resurrection to the resurrection that is yet to come. But I want you to notice he adds part in, another part into the equation in this one. We already saw the judgment, and here we see it again, judgment twice. But verse 29, and come out, uh, I'm sorry, all those who are in the tomb will hear his voice and will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, we must not miss the point. When he talks about those who've done good and those who've done evil, this is a constant theme throughout the Scriptures, throughout the Gospels, I mean. A constant theme. Those who've done good will receive blessing. Does that sound familiar to you? 
kind of sounds like what we typically call the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. Blessed is the one who, right? Same idea. The resurrection of life, who've done good. But we discovered when we looked at, 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 Genesis, I'm sorry, at, Revelation, at Matthew chapter 5, get around to it eventually, Matthew chapter 5 as well, which is the, the Beatitudes, as well as when we look at Deuteronomy way, way back, we discover that God's standard is what? Say it again. Unattainable, that's correct. What else? Perfection. God's standard is perfection. So when he says here, those who have done good to resurrection of life, compared to those who have done evil for resurrection to judgment, to evil is everyone. To good is no one. Does that make sense? In our natural state, in every single person who's ever been born, except for Adam and Eve who fell and then became like that as well, everyone would fit in the category of done evil. Christ's resurrection is absolutely essential because He's the only one who resurrected as good. He's the only one who matched up to absolute perfection. His entire life. And what is stunning when we fold the theology of the New Testament, the Pauline theology, into this text, which we rightly must do, when we talk about the importance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if there were, was no resurrection of Christ, and yet somehow you and I could be resurrected from the dead after we die, we would only be people who resurrected to what? In this text. To judgment. A resurrection to judgment would be all that would be available. Because what Paul says is our only hope is that, in Philippians chapter 3, our only hope is that we do not have a righteousness of our own, but we've been given an alien righteousness is what Paul's arguing for. It's the, alien, it's, it's, the, it's the righteousness of Jesus that those who hear and believe, as we saw in John chapter 11 as well. And as a result, at the judgment, Christ's righteousness is seen, who completely fulfilled the law, it is only because that righteousness has been imputed to us, given to us, that the judge will look and see perfect righteousness and we will resurrect to life. That is it. That is all. There is no other hope. You get the sense that the resurrection of Christ is absolutely essential? If Christ was not resurrected, we would only, if resurrection was still real, we would only be resurrected to judgment. Because you and I cannot perfectly fulfill the law of God. We cannot. Yes, sir.
Yes. 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 Uh, a, a, um, uh, a glorified body, yes. Yep, absolutely. <coughs> Let's jump over to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4, verses 24 and 25, Paul says this. We'll jump back to um, starting at verse 23. But the words it was counted to him was not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So did you catch verse 25? He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Interesting statement. So he died, in other words, in verse 25, he died because we are what? Sinners. Because we are dead in our trespasses and sin. He died to pay the penalty for our sin, to absorb the wrath of the Father that would belong to us. We've talked about it many, many times. But he goes on and says, and raised for our justification. You should get the sense in this text that, that, that resurrection is essential, it's important. In other words, without the resurrection, there is no Christianity, Paul is arguing. The resurrection is that essential. Well, what does he mean when he says, was delivered for our trespass and raised for our justification. What he's talking about here is this. The, the resurrection is the proof. It demonstrates that Christ's work on the cross really did what he was supposed to do. It shows the validity. It declares the validity. Of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. So, in other words, you could put it this way. Christ paid the penalty for our sins. But with the resurrection, justification is possible. With the resurrection, justification is finally possible. Why? Because without the resurrection, what do you have? Is sin conquered? No. Is hell conquered? No. Is death conquered? Clearly not. He was raised for our justification. You get the sense it's really important. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15, 20 and 21. 
But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man death came, by a man has also or has come also the resurrection of the dead. What Paul just did in this text, verses 50, verse, uh, chapter 15, verses 20 and 21, is he does a comparison. First he starts out with Adam, doesn't he? Adam fell, and what happened to all mankind? All mankind fell with him. We talk about Adam being the federal head, as it were. All mankind fell with him. That's what it says in verse 21. For as by a man death uh, came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. So he does a comparison just like Adam's fall was effective, right? And it was really effective, wasn't it? Not in a good way, but it was effective. Just for way of comparison, he says, just as that, this. Just as Adam had the effect, so does Jesus. And that's what he means when he says, for as by a man came death, by a man also has come the resurrection of the dead. So, in other words, the idea is, just as Adam affected others, so Christ's resurrection, that is, Adam's death spiritually, affected others spiritually, in the same way Christ's resurrection affects others as well. The resurrection of Christ is absolutely essential to affect the resurrection of His children. And that's the point that He's trying to drive home. Without the resurrection, once again, then there is no hope. So, it is interesting what he says in verse 20 again, going back to 20, but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. In other words, he, when he says the firstfruits, he, he means Christ is the, Christ's resurrection is the firstfruits, and there's going to be, if there's a firstfruits, that means there's going to be more fruits, right? If there's one fruit and it's called firstfruit, there's going to be more. Therefore, if there is no first fruit, there's going to be no other fruit. The essential nature and reality of the resurrection here is clear. If first, then there'll be others. If no first fruit, there will be no others. The essential nature is clarified. We must have the resurrection. It's our only hope. So you could argue that Christ resurrected for our resurrection. Does that make sense? So what we see in the text that we've looked at is this. He resurrected. That's what we first heard, that I am the resurrection in life, right? And if that's not true, he's a liar. And we're done. Christianity's over. But he did resurrect we find out that resurrection is for the purpose, firstly, of what again? This is just review. First thing we learn, resurrection is for the purpose of judgment. Resurrection is for the purpose of judgment first. Secondly, resurrection is for righteousness. Good. And then next, resurrection, the value of resurrection is for justification. And lastly, resurrection is what? 
He was raised for our resurrection. So there's four different perspectives. There's many others, by the way, but there are four major perspectives of why the resurrection is absolutely essential and important. So what if it's not true? Well, we're told that as well. Starting in verse 13 of, of chapter 15. I know Tom read some of it. I'm going to continue. But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. So he just says what, I, what I've been saying, didn't he? It's all meaningless. We are even found to be rep- misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, that not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Why does he say that? Because we are all self-deceived. I am so tired of hearing Christians, and you don't hear as much anymore, I don't think. Maybe you do. But there was a time when you heard all the time, you know, if, if, if you're wrong, you lose everything. If I'm wrong, I still have a great life. Have you ever heard anybody say that? That is hogwash. That's garbage. Jesus said we're most pitied. We're absolutely deceived if there's no resurrection. If there is no resurrection elsewhere, Paul says what? He says you might as well eat, drink, and be merry. At least have a good time here. Or to sarcastically put it in a different way, you might as well as pursue your best life now. Does that sound familiar, by the way? You might as well as pursue your best life now. If there's no resurrection, if there is no resurrection, there's no judgment, there's no justification, there's no answer to our conundrum of sin. So if there is none, then we might as well as just have a big time while we're here. Because ultimately, if there's no resurrection, Ultimately, you know what that means? It means there's no meaning to life. There's no greater purpose. There's no greater anything. There's nothing. There's no absolutes. There's no authority. Just eat, drink, and be merry. Just knock yourself out and have a big old time and then die. It's the only thing that makes sense. But the Scriptures argue that there is a resurrection. And people say to me regularly, well, I don't believe in resurrection. And I always tell them it doesn't change anything. <laughs> you don't have to believe in resurrection. It doesn't change anything. There's a day fixed for your judgment. You don't believe in resurrection? There's a day fixed for your judgment. That's what Paul said. You don't believe Jesus Christ rose from the dead? Okay. There's a day fixed for your judgment. And he proved it by resurrecting. And you're living in denial because Romans 1 says what? 
All you're doing is suppressing the truth of God and unrighteousness. That's what you're doing. Because you know God exists. And you know that His declarations are real. But you're suppressing it. You're denying it and suppressing it. And it doesn't change that date. But you know, when the Spirit moves in someone's life, you know what happens? They believe in the resurrection. When the Spirit takes someone from death to life and gives them the faith to believe, you know what happens? They believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they're given the righteousness of Christ. And so when they rise from the dead, they will stand before Christ and they will be resurrected to life, not to judgment. Because they will hear it said by the judge, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the kingdom I prepared for you. And you know who's declaring that? Christ is. And you know what Christ is looking at when he says that? He says, well done, good and faithful servant. He's looking at his own righteousness. He's not looking at yours. He's not looking at yours at all. He's looking at his. Because his standard, remember, is what? Absolute perfection. And so he would be a liar if he said, hey, good job. And you know as well as I do, if we look at our own life, he would be lying if he said faithful. Because <laughs> we're not really all that faithful, are we? We certainly wouldn't be categorized as a faithful servant and good. But he promised that if he leaves, he's coming back, right? And where is he going? Why is he going there? To prepare a place for his children, right? To prepare a place for his children. And that judgment, his children will do what? They will enter into real life. Because Christ judges us according to the righteousness we have. That is the righteousness we've been given. He's been preparing. And in that text, he said what? Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the... What? Now enter into the, the place I've prepared for you. He said he's going to prepare a place for us. Enter into the place I've prepared for you. Right? But it's all because of him. And it's all because of his re resurrection. His re resurrection brings us life. His resurrection is for our resurrection. So that where he is, we will what? Be also forever. Amen? That's why the resurrection is so important. There's many other things we can say, but we're going to close on that one. Do you believe in the resurrection? If you don't, there's a fixed day. There is a fixed day. And you will be resurrected. Whether you believe in the resurrection or not, you will be resurrected, but you'll be resurrected to judgment. Call upon the Lord while he is near. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us as we, as we continue in worship and then go from here to the various activities or whatever we have planned for the rest of the day. Lord, I pray you'll help us to remember both the horror 
of the resurrection, judgment, as well as the absolute glory of the resurrection. You rose again for our justification, for life, for our resurrection. Lord, I pray you will give us a longing for you. A controlling, an absolutely controlling longing to be with you and to enjoy you and to worship you and to glory in you. You are the resurrection and the life. Help us to believe. In your name I pray, amen.